In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. My name is Father Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, one of the priests. I am one of about six, seven people that proclaim good news regularly here. Ben and I added it up and we, we preach about 30 times a year. And the other 30 or so times uh, is by people who are part of our community called to proclaim good news. And I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be a part of that group of people. Friends, it's the first Sunday of Lent. We see uh, Eve in the garden, Jesus in the wilderness, facing temptation with different results. Today, on this first Sunday of Lent, we proclaim the good news that Jesus brings his loving victory right into our stories. He plunders the fear, guilt, and shame from our hearts to give us back to ourselves, whole and fully alive in his love. Be assured, nothing in your life is wasted. Even the icky, messy bits, none of it will be wasted. Whatever you've gone through, Jesus has too and is ready to transform your story into one of power and love. Each of us has a history, right? I come here with a history. Everyone has a story. Some of us have amazing stories. One of the practices we do in our table groups is we do something called three stories where uh, we have a season of time where people in our communities share three stories in 10 minutes that would be a part of a movie made about your life if they're going to make a movie about your life. And I've been a part of about three groups at the table that have done this. It's powerful. It's amazing. Um, But some of us have stories that we wouldn't share in a small group of people that we wanted to like us. We've got awful stories or sad stories or painful, bad luck, hurtful stories, embarrassing stories, stories that happened but wish they hadn't and we seldom tell them. We stay away from them. We quarantine them somewhere deep in the recesses of our prefrontal cortex. My daughter, Cece, loves to watch spies on YouTube. And there's a brother and sister. Tell me if I get this right, Cece. I didn't know she'd be in here. But I did ask her permission to share this. Uh, A brother and sister who live in Beverly Hills like to spy on their neighbors. And they have a YouTube channel, and I've seen portions of it. It's mostly harmless. Some of it is... Some of it is staged. But Cece loves it. And whatever Cece's into, this is part of the, uh, the beauty of who she is. Whatever she's into, she is all the way in it, and she just inhabits it and does it. So she's wearing... So it's common, if you come to our house, Cece will be in disguise... Um, with uh, binoculars and a mic and a, you have little glasses though, right? Like the, what are those, those little field glasses? Don't you have those field glasses? Okay, well, she's got little field glasses. Um, she probably is, uh, oh, she's got this little camera that is a watch, but it's also a camera, it's like a kid's watch. And she, I know, that's why she got one. And she, 
I, Mom got it for you, yes. This is so helpful. <laughs> she's strapped. She's like duct taped this thing to a little uh, remote control car so she can drive the car around and film you spying on you, right? Um, yeah, she likes to hide behind doors to spy on us and then she'll jump out and say boo and like four times a day, I am, my blood pressure's through the roof. So she's got a little cadre of girls in the neighborhood that she plays spies with. So they'll walk around the neighborhood. I'll, come, I'll be coming home from work and they're like walking down the road and they're talking. Cece doesn't have a GoPro, but she's got a mirror and she talks in the mirror because it's her GoPro. So she talks to Brooklyn holding the mirror, yes. And um, anyway, a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, uh, a couple of Cece's friends, who she plays spies with, were out walking the neighborhood pretending to be spies, and they saw one of our neighbors have the garage door open. So they went into the garage, and they snooped around a bit, and at some point, one of them pushed the back door open and just peeped into the house. Now, this was a family that we know. These girls have played in the past with their daughter, who's just one year older than Cece and her friends. And I found their kids in my garage and before, and... <sighs> And it's been like, hey, well, you know, what's going on? Oh, is, can CC play? Sure. Well, the dad of this family, when he saw them peering into the back door, he exploded. What are you doing? Go away, he yelled at them. Don't you know you shouldn't come into other people's houses? So now I'm home, I'm hearing the story. Two hours after it happened, and we're watching one of these girls because um, her parents are gone. So we're, we're crushing it. And she's just a mess. She's just crying. Two hours later, still like a mess. Now, the dad who yelled at them is a middle school teacher in Fishers. He works with kids. And this little girl knew she was in the wrong, but she's not a kleptomaniac, and she's not a creeper. She's seven. And she's just doing what they do. So Cece and I are processing this um, later that night. And we're processing about how this guy scared her friends. And I said, Cece, um, the reason that they were so scared is because he used his power to, to scare them. And that's not why you're created for, and that's not why they're created for. You're created for safety and love and kindness, not someone being hostile to you. It's not okay for adults to scare you. And she says, you mean like when I get scared of you when you and mommy have an argument? <laughs> yes, I said. Like that. Friends, what do you do with the parts of your story that you don't want to be told? How do you handle your history with all its mess and failure and pain? I have parts of my story, even parts of my recent story like that. Can anyone relate? When God became flesh, he determined that no part of the human story would remain untouched by his loving embrace. To lift us all the way up to where God is, he had to come down all the way to where we were. 
So he went back in the story of Israel to the first regret, the deepest archetypal pain, Eden. And then he reenacted another big embarrassing moment, the 40 years in the wilderness of Israel, grumbling and stumbling and, and not being able to enter into the promised land because they were cotton-headed ninny-moggins. Jesus enters today in Matthew chapter 4 into that corporate memory of Israel and goes through every trial to transform it. Jesus plunders the awful story of Israel and undoes the shame and failure and regret there. And friends, he does the same for you and me today. Today, we proclaim the good news that Jesus brings his loving victory right into your story. He plunders the fear, the guilt, the shame in your heart that live there. To give us back to ourselves, whole and fully alive in his love. Be assured, nothing in your life, even the icky, messy bits, nothing is wasted. Whatever you've gone through, Jesus has too. And he's ready to transform your story into one of power and love. The story of Matthew 4 is immediately preceded by Jesus' baptism in Matthew's gospel. Jesus enters into solidarity with sinners in the baptism and is led, we're told in the next verse, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. These, this wilderness is, like I said, a recapitulation of Genesis, the, the story read in Genesis where Eve is confronted with this choice to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's also calling to mind Israel's stumbling in the wilderness. Jesus confronts the same temptations in the wilderness that humanity always faces, the ones that were met in the garden as well, to meet human needs apart from God. This is the temptation, to get what we need without God. And here's the three temptations. We talk about these in our DNA groups. If you come here on a regular basis, you, you may get sick of hearing about this, but blame Scripture. The three needs that we're created for are security, to know that we're safe and provided for. This is why it was so tempting when Eve saw that the apple or the, the fruit was good for food. Oh, this will fill. This will quench the appetite. This is why Satan tempts Jesus to turn stones into bread. Provide for yourself. Secure yourself. This is a need we have. It's a temptation in which Israel stumbled and fell. Second is belonging or esteem and affection, right? This is, when, when Eve looked at the fruit, it was pleasing to the eye. There was a lure. Satan tells Jesus to throw himself off the temple and then you'll know you belong to God because his angels will pick you up, take care of you. You will be taken care of by God. You belong to him, so he'll, he'll rescue you. And the third is significance, friends, or power and authority because that fruit, that it, it, it could make me wise, it could make me strong, it could make me powerful. And this is the temptation that Jesus has to face at the end, right? I'll give you all power and authority over everything. Security, belonging, significance. 
Most of the places in our stories where we have regrets or sadness or shame involves the temptation to sin to meet one of these needs. Hear me again. Most of the places in our stories, not just Israel, but our stories, you and me, is where we have regrets or shame or pain is where we have attempted to get one of these three needs met apart from God. And Jesus, though, represents a new victorious humanity. Incarnation is a part of our salvation. That'll preach. He succeeds where Adam and Eve and Israel fails. He doesn't grumble for food, but he lives by every word from the mouth of God. He doesn't demand God to perform signs. Rather, he trusts God rather than tests him. And he doesn't make a golden calf and bow down to it. He refuses to bow down to Satan because he knows all authority comes through the laying down of his own life. Today we proclaim the good news. That Jesus brings his loving victory not only into Israel's story, but into our story, friends. He plunders the fear, the guilt, and the shame that wreak havoc in our hearts. It gives us back to ourselves, whole and fully alive. Where in your story is Jesus waiting to transform your pain, your failure, your regret? You know, I've got more to preach here, but let me just say two things and then close. The reason we fast in, in Lent is the same reason Jesus fasted. Fasting, <laughs> fasting does a couple things. One is it gets us in touch with what we really need. What we really need. When you're hungry, all hell breaks loose. If you don't believe me, watch a three-year-old and don't feed them. <laughs> just offer to babysit and then just don't feed the three-year-old and see what happens. And most of us, we're just old three-year-olds. Right? So when you fast, what happens is everything that stays copacetic inside begins to come up and come out. So Jesus, we're told, had fasted for 40 days when the temptations came. And I want to say this, friends. If we picture Jesus in the wilderness, minding his own business, blowing through a 40-day fast, and all of a sudden a red guy with goat hooves shows up with a pitchfork and begins talking to him, we will never see ourselves in the story. What's happening is these are the temptations that always live in Jesus and in us because he's created for these things. So when we fast, what it does is it brings our needs up into our awareness and we can, fig we can actually do something with them rather than just yell when we don't get our way. So fasting brings out the desires that live in us. So then, for instance, when I, as my daughter was so kind to point out to me, when I get angry and scare her, I'm not yelling because I think I'd like to ruin my family and my relationship with my daughter. How do I do that? Oh, I know. I'll yell. 
then all hell will break loose and I'll finally be happy. No, I typically yell because some kind of belonging or significance or security is threatened. I'm angry because I'm afraid. I'm angry because I learned how to yell when I was a little kid. Whoever yelled the longest and the loudest won in my family. We didn't say we were sorry. We just yelled until somebody got tired of yelling. So when I yell, it's typically because I feel like I don't matter. I don't, I'm, I, you don't see me, I don't matter. Like, pay attention to me. And that's a crisis of significance, friends. But today, we proclaim the good news that Jesus meets us in those places in our story. We don't have to quarantine that or forget about it or take a, uh, take a, you know, a quaalude or we don't have to root, spiritual roofie to forget about it. That's not what's going on here. Jesus enters into the deepest shame of his people's story and he faces it and is victorious over it and then transforms it. And he's doing the same thing today. In your story, in my story, right here, right now. All the fear, guilt, and shame that threaten to suffocate you God's love and power and presence is there to transform whatever has tested you. Where do you need to meet Jesus in your story today? The second thing, and it's correlation to this, is that all these temptations that Jesus were confronted with were good ideas. I mean, the, the devil wasn't saying, hey, Jesus, uh, go go get some cash and then head down to the casino boat on Lake Genesaret and gamble. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, you're hungry. Provide bread in the wilderness, just like, you know, you do. Jesus would do this later, wouldn't he? He'd even talk about himself as the bread. I mean, this is not, this is just, Jesus is going to Jesus. Jesus will provide bread in the wilderness. He will die and be raised again. And he will have all the nations under his authority. Friends, most of our temptations in areas of significance and belonging and security, they come to us as good ideas. When I yell, it seems like a good idea. It seems like a good idea. This is how I can get what I want. This is how I can matter. This is how I can be heard. This is how I can get everybody to calm down. So then what do I do with that, friends? What do we do with this today? Well, we own these parts of our stories that we'd rather forget. Because Jesus has gone into the wilderness and confronted them there. During Lent, if we choose to fast, this is like a, like a double click on this. We can do that too. In our own stories, in our own pain, in our own failures, at the place where we ate the fruit, at the place where we grumbled about we don't get meat anymore, at the place where we were like, why can't we just be enslaved? At the place where we weren't grateful or thankful or we yelled or we didn't stand up or 
whatever it is. Friends, where do you need to meet Jesus in your story today? Where's your wilderness? What great thing did you have in that moment of weakness lost? What hunger or need to belong or desire for some kind of agency and autonomy, where has that led you into places that has brought hurt and pain and regret? Today, friends, we proclaim the good news that Jesus comes to us to bring his loving victory right into your story. He wants to plunder the fear, guilt, and shame that you experience there and give you back to yourself, whole and fully set free in his love. Be assured that nothing in your life will be wasted, even the icky, messy bits. Jesus has gone through it with you and is ready to transform your story into one of power and love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.